Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. I'm so glad you decided to join us today. At the start of this series, we're calling Blind Spots. As we begin this series, I want to ask you to be open to allowing God to kind of shine a light on you and reveal the truth about you because you have blind spots. We all do. I have blind spots. It turns out when it comes to knowing the truth about me, I don't know the full truth about me because I have blind spots that I can't see. You know, in a group, if one person is off kilter, uh, if everyone in the group is singing, but one person is singing off key, uh, if one person has an irritating mannerism, if one person talks too much, if one person gets too close to you and violates your physical space, if one person is emotionally needy and other people cringe when they see that person coming because they know that person is going to suck the life out of them. If one person has a problem, who's the last person to know about it? It's that one person who has the problem. In other words, the truth about you is you don't know the full truth about you. Other people know it and they talk about it behind your back. This is just true for you and for me. You don't know the full truth about you because you have blind spots. This is an enormous problem with the human condition. Uh, Wise people have always understood this. Dostoevsky had this fabulous observation. He said, every man has reminiscences which he would not tell to everyone, but only to his friends. He has other matters in his mind which he would not reveal even to his friends, but only to himself. But there are other things which a man is afraid to tell even to himself. And every decent man has a number of such things stored away in his mind. And the writers of scripture have quite a lot to say about this problem with the human condition and what causes it. You know, you may not even be a Christian. You may not even believe the Bible, but it's worth thinking about this because you know, you have blind spots. You don't know everything there is to know about you. And the writers of scripture say, no one is so good, no one is so well-informed, so spiritually mature that they're immune to this. There's an interesting story about one of the great characters in the Bible, King David. Uh, David was so serious about his own spiritual life that he's actually called a man after God's own heart. But the truth about David was he had blind spots. One day, King David, with a lot of money and a lot of power, many wives, saw the wife of the only wife of another man who was much less wealthy, much less powerful, and he took her. Her name was Bathsheba. He took her just because he could, and she got pregnant by him. Then he abused his wealth and his power to cover up what he had done. You know, oftentimes in the ancient world, oftentimes politicians thought they could get away with covering up wrongdoing. It's kind of a strange quality in the ancient world. (laughs) Meanwhile, time passes. 
the baby is born. In other words, at least nine months, if I've ever heard of a year go by, David keeps writing psalms as far as we know. He keeps leading Israel in worship. He keeps serving as king as if he were a man of integrity when in his heart he knew better. Eventually, a prophet named Nathan finds out about this. Maybe a lot of other people find out about this. It's really hard to cover this kind of stuff up. One day at court, Nathan says to David, David, I must tell you about a man with a lot of money and a lot of power who had many sheep, and he saw the only sheep of another man, a much less wealthy, less powerful man. The rich, powerful man took the sheep from the poor man just because he could. Now the poor man had nothing. The rich man destroyed that poor man's life. Meanwhile, a traveler came to the rich man, and the rich man, who had all kinds of resources and all kinds of sheep and cattle of his own, slaughtered the poor man's one sheep to feed the traveler as if he were feeding the traveler out of his own resources. He hosted the celebration as if he were a man of integrity, when deep down in his own heart, he knew better. Nathan tells David about this man and then waits for David's response. I mean, this is an incredible moment with unbelievable tension. Like whoever knew the real story, the backstory, had to just be dying. Like, Nathan, what are you doing? Like, this is not like a subtle story Nathan told. Like, you don't have to be a valedictorian to get the point. They look at David. They're amazed. David doesn't look guilty. He doesn't look caught. He doesn't look embarrassed. In fact, David is furious at the man in the story. The text says that David's heart burned with anger, uh, so he's not putting on a show. This is David's actual heart. His heart burns with anger against the other guy. David actually says, as surely as the Lord lives, note the piety of this statement and his righteous indignation, as surely as the Lord lives. Really, David? How sure are you that the Lord lives? As surely as the Lord lives, that man deserves to die. That man whose crime is exponentially less dark, less serious than David's, that man deserves to, die, deserves to die, and David pronounces judgment. And then Nathan says, David, you're that man. Like, don't you get it, David? Like, do, do I have to draw a picture for you, David? Let's review the story one more time, David. A rich, powerful guy takes what this poor guy prizes, takes it by force, destroys the poor guy's life, plays the hypocrite in public for everyone to see unbelievably. Clue phone, David, it's for you. Thou art the man. It's an amazing phrase. Thou art the man. There's a fabulous sermon preached a couple hundred years ago by a guy named Joseph Butler on self-deception. He talks about the story of David and the language is a little archaic, but it's so rich. I just want you to see a paragraph. This is what Butler wrote. There is not anything relating to men and characters more surprising and unaccountable than this partiality to themselves. Hence it is that many men seem perfect strangers to their own characters. They think and reason and judge quite differently upon any matter relating to themselves from what they do in cases of others. Hence it is one hears people exposing follies which they themselves are imminent for, and taking with great severity against particular vices, which, if all the world be not mistaken, they themselves are notoriously guilty of. It's so ironic. As part of our 
self-deception, we think of ourselves so much smarter, so much brighter, so much more informed than people in the ancient world. Let me ask you a question. Has our knowledge of our inner world kept pace with our knowledge of the outer world at all? You know what happens in a message like this? It happened last time I actually taught a message like this. Uh, someone came up to me after the teaching in our in-person services and, and said, man, that was really a good message. I was thinking of someone who really needs to hear that message. I'm not making that up. Like it happens all the time because it goes so deeply in us. And what I want us to get at in this series are the blind spots in me. And in order to get to them, I have to get past the layers and the layers that are blocking the truth from being known. I think God wants to talk to you about this. I think God wants to talk to me about this. You don't have to believe the Bible to believe that there are truths about you that you don't know and that you can't see. Tony Schwartz, uh, CEO of the Energy Project, wrote an article called Our Infinite Capacity for Self-Deception. And he paints an unforgettable picture of this. He writes about Victor Crawford. Uh, Crawford was a, a lobbyist for the Tobacco Institute. He worked for years to defeat anti-smoking bills. His whole career was built on defeating any legislation that might diminish smoking. He was a lifelong smoker himself. He was diagnosed with throat cancer at the age of 59. He died a few years after that. And this is what he said not long before he died uh, after he had been diagnosed. In a way, I think I got my just desserts because in my heart, I knew better. That's such a fascinating phrase. In my heart, I knew better. Self-deception is such a remarkable, mysterious, confusing phenomenon. The truth about you is you don't know the truth about you. To, to deceive another person, like I kind of get that because I know the truth and they don't. So I, I hide it from them. One person doesn't know and the other person knows, but how can I deceive myself? Like how can I both be the deceiver and the one deceived? This is what Crawford said. In my heart, somewhere, you know, someplace, somehow at some level, I knew better. But I rationalized and denied because the money was so good. I sacrificed my health, my body, and my integrity because the money was so good. And because I could always rationalize it. That's how you make a living, by rationalizing that black is not black. It's white, it's green, it's yellow. There are other things which a man is afraid to tell even himself. Cluphone, it's for you. Thou art the man. I want to give you a question I use to uh, try to discern this condition in me uh, because I really think God wants to do something in me and in you and in, you know, in this world where it's so important to have a really good image. But the question is this, am I quicker to pass judgment on or gossip about other people than I am to see and feel the painful truth about myself? Am I quicker to see it, to pass judgment on it, to gossip about it in other people than I am to see it and feel the pain in myself? It's so interesting. Nathan brings this account of injustice to David. David is the king. And in that day, uh, they didn't separate branches of government. There wasn't like the judicial system separate from the executive branch. So as king, Part of David's job was to hear cases and to dispense judgment, justice. 
So Nathan brings him this story. David is able to see with great clarity wrongdoing in someone else at a distance and a tremendous passion burns in his heart. David is utterly blind to what is in his own mind and his own heart and his own behavior. Have you ever noticed some people have a 2020 vision for faults and flaws and misdeeds of others, but are completely myopic when it comes to themselves? Not you, of course, but some people do. <laughs> well, Jesus uses a great metaphor for this, and we're going to look at that in just a moment. In 2018, as that huge Marvel franchise takeover, the film Venom was released. Featuring Tom Hardy, Venom is the story of an ordinary man who, through luck and some unfortunate circumstances, transforms into the host of an alien. Through the film, we see the main character, Eddie Brock, as he learns to live with and transform into Venom, a murderous ball of black oozy slime. It's a pretty good movie, if you like that superhero, anti-superhero stuff. When Eddie is first infected with Venom, we see him learning how to live with this new thing that lives inside of him. Eddie hears weird voices, he wakes up in weird places at random times, he craves raw meat, and eventually Eddie understands that he is hosting ben Venom. But for a long time, he exists in this state of confusion and some would argue craziness. Over the Venom film and subsequent sequels, Eddie learns to walk alongside Venom, sharing his life and body with his alien counterpart. As Matt's been talking, I've been thinking about Venom. Now, we certainly aren't host to alien life forms, but if we were honest with ourselves, most of us would say that we are hosts to blind spots. Researchers call it self-deception. A 2019 article from Cognitive and Human Behavior Laboratory based at a university in China argues that we all exist with this phenomenon of self-deception. The article and studies found that self-deception is both a personality trait and an independent mental state, which is a fancy way to say that we are both in part characterized by self-deception and we also face times in our lives in which we experience some form of self-deception or we all carry blind spots. And at times we experience those blind spots in real, obvious ways. We carry a little venom, and sometimes we experience what venom does. All of these things are found here in the story of Daniel and Nathan, two men characterized in part by self-deception who are experiencing this illumination of the reality that we all at times have personal blind spots, or as the Bible may put it, a little chunk of wood in our own eyes. One man is revealing the blind spot and another is sitting in defense, but both have blind spots, both carry self-deception, and the reality is we all do. Normalizing something or at least calling out something is always helpful because it gives us a name and a structure so that we can recognize these things. So we've named it and called out this idea of blind spots and self-deception. It's something we see in films and something we research and it's something we all carry and experience. Painful when they get called out, sure, but important as we grow as individuals and as people of faith. So friends, as we continue to see how the Bible helps us see and heal our blind spots, stay open. Let's listen and grow together as we challenge and heal from the things that keep us blind. 
let's rejoin Matt for a little bit more uncomfortable truth as we think about blind spots. All right, this is the metaphor Jesus uses in Matthew 6. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, in other words, if you can't see the truth about you, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Of course, what's most frightening about this is you will find a way to keep yourself from knowing. It's so fascinating. Even in terms of uh, physical vision, there's a condition. There's a, a loss of focusing ability in our physical vision that often comes with age. Uh, the eye lens loses its flexibility. It gets stubborn. It gets hardened. It gets stiff. And you can detect and discern stuff fine from uh, uh, that's out at a distance, but you can't make out the stuff that's like right in front of you. Like the closer it is, the less you're able to see it. Are you experiencing this in your life yet? <laughs> I know I am. James gives us a warning about this when he writes, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Who would do that? Well, it's kind of ironic. It's possible for me to carry around internally a picture of what I look like. And then in the morning when I get up and I look in the mirror, I see the unavoidable inescapable truth. There are things happening to the elasticity of my skin and the color of my hair and all kinds of stuff that I don't carry around with me all day inter internally. But when I look in the mirror, do you ever look in the mirror and you see something that doesn't make you happy? <laughs> like if you're a woman, at least you can do something about it. Like if you're a man, you wake up and you look in the mirror in the morning, like that's about as good as it's going to look all day long. James says the Bible can be kind of a mirror. It's indispensable. Like the truth from God, the truth from the Holy Spirit is indispensable for self-awareness. And that's kind of a modern day term for what we're talking about, only it has to come from God. It's way deeper than myself. It's way deeper than uh, just like, uh, psychological uh, therapy or, or like that psychological category. Uh, the word of God is indispensable for this. But if I read the Bible the wrong way, if I read it without actually seeking to do what it says, and then recognizing how far I fall short from being a Jesus kind of person, I can actually misuse the Bible to deceive myself. And you know what I think is, you know, what a great person I am because I read the Bible, I know the Bible, or I believe the Bible. The writers of Scripture warn us about this. Again, this is all over the Bible. Uh, Paul writes this. It's so interesting. Notice this. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. I know, I know, I get it. We live in a, in a therapeutic culture and we never hear stuff like that. Paul says, I want all of you to hear this message because there's something inside of you that will deceive yourself and put you at risk. 
It'll, it will not be good. And so I want every one of you to hear these words. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Paul says, I tell you this by the grace given to me, because truth is not opposed to grace. A truth is a gift of grace. That's why I'm asking God to help us take these instructions in the Bible seriously and make us this kind of community with each other. And I know it can be painful, but it's good. The writer of Proverbs says, whoever ignores instruction despises himself, despises his own soul, but whoever listens to reproof gains intelligence. Whoever listens when they're rebuked by someone, you know, what's the truth about me that maybe I don't want to hear? That person gains wisdom. We received an email from someone who was visiting our church and the email said, you know, I stood in the courtyard and watched the teaching pastor greet people. Uh, this pastor seemed to look past everyone who stopped by, like there was someone more important coming. Someone asked for help, but the pastor just gave lip service and didn't really help at all. Now, when I read that, my first thought was, I just felt bad that they attended on a week Kylie was teaching. <laughs> No, actually, that wasn't my first thought. My first thought was, honestly, this was my first thought. They don't know me. They don't know my temperament. They don't know how God wired me. They don't know the demands on my time. They don't know my heart. Plus, clearly, they decided not to like me or our church. And so I can just kind of reject their observations so that I don't have to feel the pain about it. Like, that was my first thought. I didn't have to strategize to do that. I didn't have to reflect to do that. It was just a reflexive thought in me. But you know what? I know better. I mean, really, do I always or even consistently genuinely love people? Am I never concerned with my own little agenda and how I'm doing? Am I really so humble and so free of self-promotion that annoyance is the right response? Is it even sane? Clue phone, it's for me. The truth about me is, I don't even want to know the truth about me. The truth about me is, only God knows the truth about me. And the truth about truth is, if I go face the truth about me with Jesus, that truth will hurt me. In fact, it'll kill me. But then, it'll bring me life. Jesus said, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, but first, it will make you miserable. That's the truth about truth. There's a scene in one of C.S. Lewis's Narnia books that I hope becomes a reality for you and me and kind of marks our church because there's so much freedom in it and grace in it if we can get to that side of it. There was a boy named Eustace who has been turned into a dragon. Um, it's a picture of how sin dehumanizes us. Uh, he's invited by Aslan, who is the Christ figure, to bathe in a pool that can cleanse him, that can remake him. But first, he's told he has to undress. And he's confused about this till he realizes it means he has to shed his old dragon skin. In other words, he has to repent. He has to confess the truth about him. And he tries to do this. And it's hard work. It takes a long time, but he uh, peels off that hard, scaly dragon skin. 
When he goes to get in the water, he looks down at his foot and he notices it's just as hard and scaly as it was before he started. In other words, there's this whole layer of dragon skin under the first layer and he tries again, but the same thing happens and he keeps it keeps happening and he gets discouraged. And then the lion, Aslan, Christ, says to him, you'll have to let me do it. And this is what Eustace writes. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty near desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much for I was very tender underneath now that I had no skin on and threw me in the water. I smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why I had turned into a boy again. The truth about you is you're not really you yet. The truth about you is only God knows what the true you really is. I was thinking, what if God peeled that hard, scaly skin off of us all? Like, what if we became the kind of people in our families and in our small groups where we were just honest with each other all the time and people actually in humility, wide open, no defensiveness, no stubbornness, just sought to know the truth about us because we were so rooted, we were so rooted in the, the love and the grace of God. This week, when you wake up and you look in the mirror, as you probably will in the morning, would you just say, God, just like that mirror tells me the truth about my physical body, would you reveal to me the truth about my character, about my speech, about my habits, about my ego, as much truth as I can bear. This week when someone in your life, someone in your family or your work says something critical, instead of defending or resisting or rationalizing, will you actually eagerly, humbly, wide open, see if there's something there to learn? No one can do this for you. But there's this weird thing, there's this weird freedom and I get tastes of it. Not all the time, but I get tastes of it. And when that switch gets flipped, there's like this enormous freedom of, I don't have to impress or look like anything for anyone. God loves me and nothing is ever gonna change that. So I can just receive the truth about me. It's such a better place to be. When all of the hard, scaly, you know, look at my resume, look, the, you know, look at my character, like, don't question me, don't say anything bad about me, I'm the, the sum of what everyone thinks about me and what re my reputation is, you know, it's so much better to be in a place where you're completely vulnerable before God. And if we, as a church, can be the kind of place where it's safe to do that, if your family if your small group can be a place where it's safe to do that, man, and what God would be able to do. So this week, read the Bible. And when you read the Bible, read it in a repentant spirit. 
when you begin reading it, instead of, you know, what, look at what a good thing I'm doing, I'm reading the Bible, or here's what I know about the Bible, just begin by saying, God, would you reveal truth to me about what you want me to do, about who you want me to be? Next week, we're going to talk about the most indispensable mirror God puts in your life, so you're not going to want to miss that. All right, let me pray for you. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Um, I just want to ask you to make a decision about this week. Would you make this week a different week? Would you just say, this week, with God's help, I will actually seek out the truth about me. If someone says something to me that's critical about me, instead of leaning away or defending or dismissing, I will actually lean in and ask them to tell me more. I will be as wide open, uh, God, as your spirit enables me to be. Would you be able to say that? God, I pray that you would do in us what you did in David's life when you brought Nathan. Would you bring those Nathans to us who will help to reveal the truth about us? Um, God, would you do this work in us so that we can see our lives the way that you see our lives and begin to do the, the transforming work that you want to do in us so that we become more of the people that you want us to be. Help us to not hide from the truth. Help us to lean into it and to see it and realize it and know it and understand it and live in it. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.